0: We're on page ten eighty-three of the Red Bibles, John chapter fifteen. And starting at verse one. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I meant to uh,
1: say before that reading that uh, following the reading would be our preacher, which is uh, Ian Randall. Ian, let me welcome you to Christchurch. Uh, it's my first Sunday welcome you formally. It's great to have you on board. Ian's our new Associate Minister's preaching just today. Thank you brother. Go ahead. Thank you. Well good morning and thank you all. Uh, we, uh, there's many of you that I've not had the chance to uh, meet yet but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, thank you for the warm welcome that I've already received from many of you. Let's pray shall we as we come to look at that uh, portion of God's word that was just read to us. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, it is such an awesome privilege to be able to hear from you, the one who made all things, the one who sustains all things, the one who is able to speak to us afresh today. Lord, we pray that as we come and look at this passage now, you would be at work in our hearts by your spirit, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who don't know, uh, my wife Susie works for the NHS. Uh, And like many people who work for the NHS, uh, she often has to make quite long and uh, detailed entries into a record system. Uh, Maybe some of you know how that feels. Unfortunately, the record system in question uh, is set up in such a way that unless you save your work at three separate points along the way the chances are you're going to lose the whole lot. Uh, Now, when that happens, which occasionally it does, uh, I'm led to believe it can be pretty frustrating. I'm sure you can imagine. I wonder if you've ever experienced anything like that. Uh, Documents that got accidentally deleted or lost. Uh, Meals that you spent ages preparing only to burn them so as to make them inedible. Uh, Perhaps homework that your dog ate. I used to be a teacher, that happened remarkably frequently to some of the children I taught. These are situations, aren't they, where you've put a great deal of time and effort in, and yet at the end, you've got nothing to show for it. Situations where you might say your work has been fruitless. But whilst fruitless effort can be pretty frustrating at the time, it's nothing compared to a a fruitless life, is it? What a terrible thing that would be, to be lying on our deathbed, only to look back and realise that we have nothing to show for all those years, to feel that the whole of your life has been fruitless. Now that might seem like a pretty unlikely scenario to some of you, but I reckon it's probably more common than we might think. In no small part, I think that fear of the fruitless life is what lies behind many a midlife crisis. It's what spurs many people to write bucket lists, I reckon. And you can see why. We all want to look back and see that our lives have counted for something, don't we? We we want to have made an impact. In some deep and profound sense, we want our lives to have been fruitful. Well, wouldn't it be great if someone could just reveal to us the key to living a fruitful life? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be the ultimate life hack, wouldn't it? Well, it is a bold claim, I know, but I would like to suggest to you this morning that in today's passage, that is exactly what we have. In today's passage, Jesus shares with us the ultimate life hack, if you like. He unveils the key to a fruitful life. What is that key? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, Look down at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Do you see that? The key to a fruitful life, according to Jesus, is to remain in him and for him to remain in us. It really is that simple. But did you notice that uh, what Jesus is doing here is he's setting up an extended metaphor. In verses 1 through 8, look at how he starts the section in verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus says. Uh, If you've been around much over the summer, you'll know that we've been going through the I am statements of John's gospel. Statements that Jesus makes about himself. And today we come to the last one. I am the true vine. But as Jesus goes on to point out in verse 5, not only is he the vine, we are like branches growing out of that vine. Now, I might be wrong at this point, but I don't think you need a horticultural degree to kind of understand how this metaphor works. Even I could have told you that the branches of a vine will only bear fruit while they are actually connected to the vine. If they cease to be connected to the vine well, then they'll cease to bear fruit. It's that simple. So to take the metaphor and apply it to ourselves, the big message that we need to grasp today, I hope is pretty clear. You want to live a fruitful life? Well, get connected to Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Keep turning to him daily in repentance and faith, and you will bear fruit you will live a fruitful life. Now, of course, there's a sense in which we could leave it there, couldn't we? But we won't, because in his kindness, Jesus actually unpacks that metaphor for us in verses six, uh, sorry, 9 through to 16. There he kind of fleshes out the details of what it will actually look like for us to remain in him. Not only that, he'll shed more light on what this fruitfulness will actually look like in our lives. And so uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning looking at those verses and considering what it means for Jesus to be the vine and for us to pursue fruitfulness by remaining in him. But before we get there, there's just one last thing that I need to draw your attention to, and it's this. You see, we've already considered the fact, haven't we, that it would be tragic to live a fruitless life. It really would. But Jesus wants us to see that there's actually far more at stake here than just that. Friends, I don't want you to go away this morning with the impression that what Jesus is offering here is just to be your life coach. He's not presenting us with one route to fruitfulness, but really it's not a big deal if you choose to go your own way. No, look down at verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is clear, isn't he? That it's impossible for us to bear fruit unless we remain in him. But look what happens to fruitless branches in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. It's weighty, isn't it? If you have any familiarity with the Bible at all, you probably know that the imagery of being thrown into the fire and burned is a picture of having to face the eternal wrath and condemnation of God. So do you see what's at stake here, friends? Fruitfulness isn't an optional extra for those who want to avoid a midlife crisis. Neither is it merely a way to ensure a deathbed experience of minimal regret. No, in a very real sense, fruitfulness in Jesus is essential if we want to exchange the horror of eternal condemnation for the glory of eternal life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we're saved by our fruitfulness but we won't be saved without fruitfulness, because fruitfulness is the evidence that we really are truly connected to Jesus. As one writer puts it, picking up on the language of verse 14, it's not that fruitfulness makes us friends of Jesus, it's that fruitfulness characterises friends of Jesus. So if we want to escape the judgment to come, We must remain in Jesus. And if we remain in Jesus, we will be fruitful. So what does that look like, to pursue fruitfulness in Jesus? Well, I just want to briefly draw your attention to three things in particular. Firstly, fruitfulness through obedience. Look down at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. This is where Jesus begins to unpack this metaphor and explain what it means. And the first thing we need to notice is that remaining in Jesus, remaining in his love, looks like obedience. Uh, Now, I can imagine that for many of us, on the face of it, that maybe feels a little bit underwhelming, doesn't it? Obedience doesn't sound particularly interesting or exciting. In fact, I suspect to some of us, maybe it just sounds rather dull. But notice that's not how Jesus thinks about obedience. Look at how he continues in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Isn't that interesting? For Jesus, it is a joy to obey his father's commands a joy that we get to share in as we obey his commands so for jesus obedience isn't the it isn't only the path to fruitfulness it's not just how we remain in him it's actually a source of deepest joy now i get that that is hugely countercultural Uh, We live in a culture, don't we, that is exceptionally anti-authority. We don't like to be told that we have to do anything, because our culture tells us that freedom and joy consist in writing our own rules, not following someone else's. And actually, it's not just our culture, is it? It's our fallen human nature. Until God's spirit takes hold of us and renews our hearts and minds, we cannot help but rebel against God. But once he has come and he's united us to Jesus, then everything changes. Yes, we still struggle and fight to overcome our sinful desires. But the power of sin has been broken in our lives. We've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, something he points to in verse 3. And we've been cleansed in order to live a life of obedience to him. Verse 16 sums this up beautifully, I think. You did not choose me, says Jesus, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? So that you might go and bear fruit. So do you see, if if we've been united to Jesus, fruitfulness through obedience is a fundamental part of what we've actually been saved for. And shockingly, contrary to what our culture and the remaining sin in our hearts might tell us, Jesus says the pursuit of fruitful obedience will actually be a source of joy in our lives. Uh, At my previous church, I used to do one-to-ones with a certain young man who was a rugby player, and I mean he was made to play rugby. Uh, Not only was he not far off a foot taller than me, I reckon he probably weighed about three times as much as I do, and it was all pure muscle. He literally wears shorts and sliders year-round, regardless of the weather. You probably know the kind, okay? Well, let me tell you, few things in life brought this guy as much joy as charging at a wall of similarly built men carrying an egg-shaped ball. He was made for rugby, and to play rugby brought him immense joy. I, on the other hand, it may shock you to hear this, I am not made for rugby, Uh, For most of my life, I've been a nine stone weakling uh, and I have to wear two jumpers until the temperature gets about 30 degrees. And so it won't surprise you to find that I have found little joy in playing rugby since about year seven. I don't know about you. uh, I don't know whether you consider yourself made for rugby or not, but I can tell you this. You were made to obey God. You were made to obey God. And until you do, You will not know true joy and you will not know true fruitfulness. Not only that, this passage tells us that you cannot know true joy and you cannot know true fruitfulness unless you are united to and remain in Jesus. So let me ask you, do you want to live a fruitful life? Do you want to experience true joy? Well, then you need to come to Jesus. You need to remain in Jesus, and you need to pursue fruitfulness through obedience to Jesus' commands. Now, the question that comes out of that is, what commands? Well, I'm glad you asked, uh, because Jesus goes on to tell us, and uh, that's what we're going to consider in our, our second heading, fruitfulness through love. Uh, look down at verse 12. My command is this, love each other. As I have loved you. Uh, Throughout the course of his earthly ministry, Jesus gave many commands, didn't he, to his disciples? But here he sums them all up in these three words Love each other. Love each other. Uh, Now, again, depending on your personality, the pursuit of fruitfulness through love might sound even more unappealing than the pursuit of fruitfulness through obedience. Uh, For some, the command to love just sounds sickly and sentimental doesn't it it conjures images of fluffy pink hearts and unicorns and rainbows for others the command to love sounds wonderful as it conjures images of fluffy pink hearts and unicorns and rainbows but let's be clear that's not how the bible views love and that's not how jesus views love how are we to love as jesus did and how did Jesus demonstrate this love? We'll look down at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You see, love for Jesus isn't sickly and sentimental. It isn't hearts and unicorns and rainbows. Love for Jesus is sacrifice. Love for Jesus is death. Love for Jesus is death on a cross. Jesus shows us what love really looks like by leaving the comfort and glory of heaven to take on a human nature, to walk amongst us, to suffer at our hands, to hang on a cross and die, to be buried in a tomb, and all for what? For us. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to die. And all so that those who turn to him in repentance and faith can enjoy the eternal life that only he truly deserves to live. Friends, love isn't heart-shaped. It's cross-shaped. That's what love is. And what Jesus is telling us here in this passage is that remaining in him involves the pursuit of cross-shaped love like his. What does that look like for us? Well, let me give you a few examples. I realize these are are all quite family-related. I promise not all my applications are going to be family-related, but I am the uh, associate minister for families, youth, and children, so so just let me have this one, okay? Here we go. Okay, what what might this look like? Friends, I think this looks like this cross-shaped sacrificial love. I think it looks like those men and women in our church who give up their time and energy to partner with us as parents in teaching our kids about Jesus. Some of them are at it right now, down that corridor. Many of you sat here are expecting to be involved in something like that in the coming week, or at some point this term. Well, let me tell you, whilst it might not always feel particularly fruitful in the moment, that is an expression of cross-shaped love that our Heavenly Father considers to be real fruitfulness. Real fruitfulness. Let me give you another example. Cross-shaped love also looks like every young person in this room who chooses to obey their parents, even though it is hard, and even though they don't really see why they should. And yet they humble themselves, they take up their cross, and they honour their parents because they want to honour Jesus. Young people, let me encourage you in that. Obeying your parents might not feel particularly fruitful, (laughs) in the moment but it is an expression of cross-shaped love for your parents and for the lord jesus christ that our heavenly father considers real fruitfulness and it looks as well like those parents fathers in particular maybe but but not only and exclusively fathers who put their phone away who turn off their laptop who leave the office on time so they can get home and they can read the bible and they can pray with their kids and their families so that they can teach them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, so that they can just spend time with them to know what matters to them. Brothers and sisters, when you do that, it might not feel particularly fruitful at the time, but it is an expression of cross-shaped love for your kids and our families that our Heavenly Father considers real fruitfulness. There are so many other areas we could explore, aren't there? Uh, what this looks like with our friends, what this looks like in the workplace, what this looks like here with one another in church. I guess what all of us need to be doing this week is asking ourselves whether the the way that we use our time and our money and our energy demonstrates cross-shaped love for other people. Here's an excruciating thought experiment you might want to put yourself through later on today or at some point this week. Imagine you were to go for a coffee with Jesus this week. And while you're there, You walk him through your diary for the next few weeks. What would he make of the way that you're spending your time and your energy? Imagine that after that you sit with him and you go through your household budget for the next year or the bank statements for the past few months. What do you think he'd see? I hope he'd see evidence of cross-shaped love for others. I'm sure he would. Do we want to live a fruitful life? Then we need to pursue fruitfulness through love, not sickly heart shaped love, through sacrificial cross shaped love. A love like the kind of love Jesus has shown for us. Now, at this point, you might be forgiven for wondering if any of this is actually even possible. (laughs) How can I obey Jesus like Jesus obeyed the Father? How can I love others like Jesus loved me? Well, those are good questions, aren't they? But we mustn't lose sight of the big picture here. Remember, Jesus' great burden in this section is to show us that this kind of fruitfulness doesn't ultimately come from us, does it? It comes from Him. He is the vine, we're just the branches. Now, that doesn't mean we're completely passive in the process of bearing fruit. We strive to obey. We strive to die to self and love others. Of course we do. But ultimately, the life-changing power to do so comes not from within us, but from our connection to the vine. And that means if we examine ourselves and we find that we're lacking in some way, which, let's be honest, we will, the solution isn't first and foremost to look inside of ourselves. It's to look to him, the vine, the source of all that we need to bear fruit. And we need to look to our heavenly father, the gardener, who is at work to increase fruitfulness in our lives in verse 2. Which brings us to our third and final point, briefly, fruitfulness through prayer. In verse 7, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then again in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And notice, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Those are astonishing promises, aren't they? Here Jesus tells us that all those who remain in him can ask for whatever they wish and they'll receive it. Now, of course, we need to take account of the context here. Jesus is talking about growing in fruitfulness. So this isn't a a health and wealth gospel prayer that if you have enough faith and you ask for a million pounds to drop through your letterbox this week, it'll happen. No. But that shouldn't take anything away from the awesomeness of this promise. Those who want to be fruitful, those who want to grow in obedience, those who want to grow in love can ask for whatever they need to that end and expect to receive it why such a lavish promise well we've already seen that fruitfulness in jesus is what we're made for it's what we're saved for and we see in verse two bless you uh, we see in verse two that uh, this is the aim of the father as gardener to make us more fruitful you okay (laughs) sorry um that's what happens sometimes in my preaching people fall asleep and it just yeah it's bad um in verse 8 we see something uh, that should give us even more confidence as we pray for God's help to be maximally fruitful in this life look down at verse 8 this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples friends do you realize what Jesus is saying there our fruitfulness our obedience our love brings glory to god the father and when we understand that it will transform the way that we pray we'll realize that god isn't some harsh disciplinarian waiting and watching so he can punish every single one of our failings no far from it instead we'll see that the we'll see him for the caring father he is A father who longs to see us flourishing, not just for our own good, but for his own glory. He wants you to be fruitful, Christian. He's inviting you to come and ask him, to ask for whatever you need to make you more fruitful. And he's promising to give you whatever it is you need to become more fruitful for your good and for his glory. Nothing should give us more confidence in prayer than knowing that the very thing we're praying for is something God is longing to give to us isn't that wonderful which begs the question if we're not as fruitful as we'd like to be if we know that we're not growing in fruitfulness well could it be because we're not asking for the help we need Could it be that we've been trying to do it all in our own strength rather than seeking the power that can only come to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit? Brothers, sisters, he is inviting you to ask. He is waiting for you to ask. It is the purpose for your life that you bear fruit for his glory. He will give you what you need to grow in obedience and love. Jesus says so. But are you asking? Will you ask? As we close, why don't we take a moment of quiet to reflect on where we each need to grow in obedience and love? Perhaps it's in the way we use our time, our money, our energy. Perhaps it's in a particular relationship at work or home or school or somewhere else. What is it that the Lord wants you to change? Let's pray now. Let's ask Him to help us to be more fruitful in that area. It might not happen overnight. I guarantee you, because Jesus guarantees you, he will help you. Let's just have a moment of quiet, shall we? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this passage and the wonderful encouragements and promises that are contained within it. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, the true vine. Please, Lord, If there is anyone here who is yet to be united with him by repentance and faith, help them to see that not only is remaining in Jesus the only way to live a truly fruitful life, it is the only way to escape the judgment that we all deserve. Lord, please, would you help us all to remain in Jesus and so to pursue true fruitfulness. Help us to pursue fruitfulness through obedience Help us to pursue fruitfulness through love for others. Help us to pursue fruitfulness through prayer. Lord, please, would you change us as we remain in the vine week by week. Help us to grow and be ever more fruitful, not only for our own good, but also for the glory of your holy name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.